Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 577, air date April 16th. 2020. David's been one of the pioneers in the superfoods movement as well as in the raw food movement. Raw foods. And we're going to really talk about everything, right, David? But we're going to really start talking about you're doing an immunity summit. As, uh, and I'm going to have Instagram here. People want to watch me and David here, and I'll go back and forth. Go ahead, Dave. Okay, nice. Yeah, so we're doing an immunity summit. So, um, Dr. Shiva, you'll be our 11th episode in the summit. It's all email delivered. And it's free. It's just free to the community, so anybody can get access to it. I'll give you the link. It's a bit.ly link, bit.ly forward slash immunity summit, if you want to track that down. And I'll, I'll make sure that you guys have access to it. And what I wanted to get into is all the things that Dr. Shiva and I share and, and what we're really great advocates of. And we met over the internet, actually. We met over Twitter. And I just was like, this guy is so on target. I was like, I need to meet this guy. For some time, I've been sharing your stuff. And then finally, I think you sent me a message in, or I sent you a message or something. And then we got in touch. And I also realized something that's really important that I think everyone needs to know. And we met because of business, because you're a businessman. I'm a businessman. You're an entrepreneur. You're a creator. And we're trying to create some opportunities for developing products with my cousin's company, Symbiotica. And we had a number of conversations about that. Then this whole coronavirus thing happened, and we, you know, we got sidetracked towards that. Plus, you are actually running for Senate, which I do want everyone in our summit to know about, Dr. Shiva, is that if you live in the state of Massachusetts or you vote in the state of Massachusetts, they can vote for you, right? And you just you have to be in the state of Massachusetts. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. So, so the deal is, anyone in the state of Massachusetts can vote, but anyone can support the campaign. Because it's a okay. federal election, so people want to, you know, give us money. If the people want to volunteer, we have a whole team we call Space Force. Okay, we have people from all over the country, and it's led by two amazing women, uh, Genevieve here in New Jersey and Sarah in California. And we have uh, actually these volunteers all over the country using our own technology. They're calling in, you know, people and volunteers. One of the things, Dave, that we need to make happen sooner than later is we need to get on the ballot. Now what they do is they make getting on the ballot very difficult because they want to keep out outsiders. Last year when I ran against crazy Elizabeth Warren, you know we ran this campaign only the real Indian can defeat the fake Indian. I was I ran originally as a Republican, but the mass GOP, which is it, and the Democratic Party, people need to understand are really one party. There is no distinction, particularly in Massachusetts. If you go to the history, it's like the blue bloods, whether they were Democrats or Republicans, all were united. It's sort of the center of the deep state, and we'll have a discussion about that. So they didn't want me on the ballot. They, in fact, pushed a guy who's a complete moron who photoshopped a picture with Donald Trump. There's three hands in the picture, okay? And this is sort of how the establishment works. They, want, they want to confuse, and I actually had a forensics guy look at that picture, okay, expose this guy. And, and they would run media campaigns against me, you know, put a mugshot of me of a case that was outright dismissed, right? Said I didn't invent email. It's the same ad hominems. But what was powerful was we actually got uh, on the ballot, uh, bottoms up, and it was quite extraordinary. We got 100,000 votes, five times more than any independent candidate in Massachusetts history. And, and even in the midst of that, David, they didn't put us on the ballot. I mean, on the debate stage, both Elizabeth Warren and the Republicans colluded against us. So I think the lesson here is both of these parties, I mean, they didn't want Trump, right? They still don't want him. And even though Lindsey Graham and these guys may act friendly today, he was an outside agent of change. So that's one thing that was interesting. But yeah, so, we're, so in this campaign, we're running as um, Republicans because we want to hijack that party because we want to be on the debate stage. It's me against three lawyers, David. Malarkey, Markey is a lawyer. 
you know, who's promoting the fake climate change narrative, CO2 is a pollutant. And they knew I would beat him. So they ran Joe Kennedy, who's a $51 million trust fund kid who, who supports vaccine mandates. And in fact, Bobby Kennedy came and supported him. This is a big contradiction with Bobby Kennedy, who's part of the not so obvious establishment. We'll talk about that. It, this may hurt some people's views, but it's time we get, it's, it's sort of a bitter medicine to swallow, but sometimes we have to get rid of parasites, you know? And then, then you get to the aspect of, I had a clear shot at the Republican nomination, so the Massachusetts GOP, in collusion with the Democrats, is running a lawyer guy who barely can speak, who has like 100 Twitter followers, and actually, to help him get on the ballot, he has no volunteers. We had hundreds of volunteers collecting signatures. They're actually doing a mail-in campaign for him. And the governor has started calling the grocery stores and saying, our volunteers can't be there for social distancing, even though we're following all the rules. So what we've done on our website is if people go to it, this is sort of just, if people go to Shiva for Senate and people just scroll down, we've literally set up a form. Everyone has probably one or two degrees of freedom away, someone they know in Massachusetts. Tell them to go to Shiva for Senate because we need to number one, get on the ballot because the establishment does not want me on the ballot. But the foundation of our campaign is three things, truth, freedom, and health. And, you know, if health is, I mean, all of them, depending if you're, if you're into science and truth, you can start there. But in order to have truth, you need to have freedom. And the truth leads to health. If you want health, where you, you have to have truth. And health is sort of the centerpiece of how we get to be strong to fight for freedom. You know, warriors can't exist if you don't have great and strong and resilient bodies. So the entire model here is we're getting across to people. You cannot leave out health. You can't leave out freedom. You can't leave out truth. And I think the reason this, that discussion is important is particularly in the new age community, if you think about it, the, the new agers, you know, they have sort of a dysfunction in some ways because they're cool people, but they want to go sort of hide and do yoga and meditate. And, and it leads to a narcissism, forgetting that you have to participate in the world. And so you have to be the warrior and the monk, right? You can't just be yeah. one or the other. In some ways, it's a dysfunction. And, and, and so, you know, in traditional systems of Indian medicine or when you got training from your yogi, you weren't just given your mantra and then told to meditate and do all the hatha yoga postures. You had to probably work for three, five, ten years where work very hard, prove that you were a good human being. Like you could work hard, you learned basic skills, how to paint, how to do carpentry without any sort of infrastructure on why they're doing that. What is the purpose of health? Uh, it's not just to have a long life, but it's to have a long life where you have freedom. You know, one thing is you could have a great life, but suppose you're living in a fascist state. So this is sort of the opportunity that we have, I think, with what's going on. People really have a chance to really reflect and really to think about what is life. Is it just about eating well and meditating? Yes, those things are good. But what about if everyone around you is forcing you to get vaccine mandated? Are you going to comply with that? What does that now impose on you? Right. So I think it's a very, very interesting opportunity for people to have this larger discussion, frankly, of what it means to be a human being or... So, yeah, to participate in, in our civilization, and what, what I'm hearing from you is very, um, you, you represent in many ways the type of being that, that Rudolf Steiner was really driving forward with, which is you, you need to develop yourself and develop freedom within yourself, but also to bring these ideas as part of your responsibility out to others. And, I, and you do that so beautifully and eloquently. But what, one of the things that I think it really grabs people's attention about you is you are so well educated, but you are so open. You have both of those, which is so rare. I just find it, you know, I've, I've had a background like you, many degrees, nine years of upper education, the whole thing. 
but I still retain that openness because there's something inside that really has a real scientific inquiry that is alive in me and it's alive in you. I think people want to hear more about that. How in the world do you stay open and do you stay learning in a, in a system of education that seems to want to quelch any free thinking? Well, David, you were asking a question and the answer to which I've shared very little. I, I, I did an article up on my uh, website, vashiva.com, my personal website. And a very good friend of mine, Jen Bennett, she said, Shiva, everyone needs to know that story because everyone, when they know that story, it'll inspire them. So the story, basically, this is what happened. You know, I grew up in an India where it was a very eclectic India, okay? And I grew up in a New Jersey, which was a very eclectic New Jersey. So I grew up in my formative years when in India, but then also growing up in working class towns in New Jersey where I went from you know, complete poverty towns like Patterson all the way in the last three years to one of the wealthiest towns like Livingston. So I saw all these differences, right? But the early formative periods were, uh, you know, I grew up in Bombay, India, and the back, you know, so I grew up in the city, but the backyard of my, uh, you know, memories in Bombay were one of the jungles. I mean, huge snakes out there, parrots, and in the distance was a Tata Atomic Research Center, but my next door neighbor, because he ended up becoming a vet, but we just loved animals and I still can't believe we'd walk through these woods. I mean, even now when I walk through these woods, I think a cobra or something is gonna bite me. These were, when you talk about Jungle Book, that's what it was. So I grew up in that world and then I grew up in this world in my grandparents who were uh, uh, indigenous people. You know, my grandmother had these huge earrings, she had tattoos all over her arm, right? You would think she was out of some uh, you know, National Geographic. Uh, my great-grandfather, he did all those feats you would see of, um, in you know, again, in National Ge Geographic, you know, people put those in intense... Uh, the piercings. The piercings, and yeah. he would pull these things. He would go into trances, and he would carry on his hands these huge vases of coal heated. You know, people talk about fire walking, and he would go into trances. No burnings, nothing would take place. So I grew up with that, and my grandmother would channel. So these were just normal things. And the, and, the, and the weekends, my grandmother was a village healer. 40, 30 people would come. She would observe their face using a system called Samudrika Lakshanam. And there's a whole treatise writ, written on it. But she didn't go to school. This was taught to her by, you know, oral tradition. And my family, my grandparents' side, my great-grandfather, you know, grew, grew up essentially as an indigenous tribal uh, where they had no food. They would have to eat the husks of the coconut. Uh, very poor people. When he was 12 years old, in order to make his fortune, my great-grandfather decided, and who I met, by the way, he lived until 100 plus, he decided that he wanted to make his fortune in the 20s, I think early 1900s, to go to Burma. Now, Burma was where the Indian you know, people would go to try to make their money. So here was a young man, 12 years old, and his, he asked for a few dollars from his brother, and his brother couldn't afford it, so he became an indentured servant. In those days, you worked on the ship, and you were bonded to this uh, to the captain for three years. Now, he was such an extraordinary man, he worked 10 times harder, and this captain of the ship was so impressed by him that he said, you know what, I'm re relieving you of your bond, you've worked like five times. So he ends up in Burma, and he work does anything. He makes dosas on the street, he uh, you know sells anything. Eventually, he acquired some land and became a big farmer. So my grandfather was born in Burma, my father was born in Burma, and then World War, now Burma was known for two things, you know, snakes, cobras, and Buddhism. So the story goes, my father uh, 
was the only son born to his mom and dad, my grandparents. And in those days, a woman was supposed to have many children and multiply, right? And she wasn't producing any more children. So they were willing my, to marry them. I guess that was tradition to another woman, my, my grandfather. So my dad was clearly very upset. So him and his mother went to all these Buddhist temples. And the story goes, they met, my dad says, they met this Buddhist priest who said, don't, because my dad was, I think, three or four years old. He thought he was going to lose his mother, right? Because if, if another woman came in. So he gave my dad a coin and he said, on this day, you will have a brother born to you. And he goes, but you must meditate. And uh, that, so on December 2nd, which was, I don't know what year, my uncle's born, which is my same birthday. His name is Shiva too. So my, so my uncle still wears that on his chest, the coin with the mantra in it. Now my dad started meditating as a child. By the time he was 12 years old, uh, he would give vibhuti, which is holy ash to, to people, and he would heal people. Now his parents were very afraid my father would become a yogi, a sannyasi, and leave. So they stopped him from doing that. World War II comes to Burma, which became the center point of the Japanese and the Americans fighting. So they lose everything. I mean, massive inflation. My dad talks about wheelbarrows of money, right? Afraid if you'll get shot. So they, uh, so they were gonna walk back to India. And my great-grandfather is a very deeply spiritual person. Uh, he has a dream which said, don't do that, we'll all die. So they take, they walk part ways and they take a ship back. And now they come back to the same village where they started with nothing. So my great-grandfather would say, you know, you, you can judge people when they have nothing, make a lot, and come back. How do they maintain their integrity? So, that's what, so, so they come back to that village and that's where I grew up, right? In the same house, in, in a small hut was across their house, which had a moringai tree. You know, the, the, yeah. The Moringa tree. Yeah, yeah. So Amazing. every house yeah. had that. To people listening, Moringa is a very powerful plant. The, the leaves we used to eat, the drumsticks are very good for male hormones. They would say, if, in the Indian Tamil movies, they'd say if a, if a, if a husband isn't uh, basically having sex with you, right? Make him Moringa drumstick soup. Anyway, so, which very few Indians have today who live in the cities that they connected me to these people who were amazing people, man. These people were incredible. They weren't spiritual people, they were hardworking people. I mean, my great-grandfather, until 93 years old, he was ripped, would work in the fields. And I saw how he lived this very simple, humble life. He'd get, wake up at four in the morning, he would churn his own buttermilk, you know, drink some uh, old, the previous rice, which was fermented rice, he would milk the cows. You know, I mean, this was his life, then he'd go work, come home, go to bed early, you know, eat, you know, the way he slept was a simple bench with no pillow. So this, so I've seen a yogi in my life. If there was sort of quote unquote a God on earth, it was him. You know, if you want to think about it that way. So I grew up with that and this very, very deeply instilled things. I would sit on my grandmother's lap and she would tell me these amazing stories, man, about Rama and Sita and the epics of the Mahabharata. And to me, these were like freaking heroes. And, but yeah. the central thing of them was they were people whose essence was about fighting against evil. You know, the story of Rama, you know, fighting for, but it was about honor and these virtues. Now, when my, one of my uncles became a doctor, he came back to the village and wanted to get blessings for my uh, grandmother. And she said, I will not give you blessings unless you promise me one thing. If anyone comes to you who cannot afford health, health will you do it for nothing? And he said yes, and then she gave him blessings. In those days, blessings were very powerful. There was a deeply spiritual thing. My grandmother would go into a deep spiritual trance. She would. Uh, so anyway, 
Um, so I grew up, I, I can't explain, man. Uh, these people to me were directly connected to the Almighty. The way yeah. they lived, how they, everything was integrated, right? So that was. Let me, let me ask. Let me yeah. ask you about that because this is something where you know many Americans today we're, we're so you know you became a very well researched scientist, but you keep this open side of you, this very spiritual side of you. But in our culture today, and you you bring this up in an interesting way. You talk about scientific consensus, which is not the scientific method, right? Which is essentially a gang of quote unquote scientists who are not spiritual, really, are trying to bully their position in. And that's what we see with these vaccine vaccine mandates. It's what we see with Fauci and Burks. It's what we see with the systems that Gates have put together through the World Health Organization. They're trying to bully their stuff in, which is not even scientific. I, I, I spent many years, you probably know this, being attacked for being unscientific because I'm saying, hey, there's no scientific method here. And they would just try to bully you as you've probably been through. I wanted you to address that before we get deeper into protocols and how we're going to address the coronavirus thing and the whole thing. I just, I'd like to get your take on it. I call it scientism. When you get a group of quote unquote scientific bullies, they're not really scientific. They're like a gang, but you have a different way of phrasing it. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a good discussion. So David, you're really asking uh, sort of this bullying that goes on. Uh, If you, if you really look at that, the reason that's occurred is because we have uh, basically dehumanized science and innovation and where is truth supposed to come from this has been a dehumanization and it's frankly institutionalized racism these same people who do this the people who claim they care about diversity they use the words diversity inclusivity we care about all the dark people in Africa blah 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 it's no it's no different than a centralized religious neo-missionary model you know when the Vatican went to all these people with Bible in one hand not not that the Bible is not a great book right but you know everyone has misused Christ's teachings also Bible in one hand and a sword in the other hand and they literally converted people that way so this is Bill Gates and these people are neo-missionaries and it comes from a fundamental view that they know better than nature that that they know better it's it's uh, so th- this goes back I think to to the forces that have always existed in humanity of freedom versus slavery and, and, and look, I, I keep saying, it was not so long ago, 200, 300 years ago, that there were monarchs who said that they were the chosen ones and that their connection went directly to God. And every, all of us were fundamentally less than that. So this has been this long march of humanity about slavery, freedom versus slavery. It really comes down to that. So nothing has fundamentally changed on that level. What has changed is uh, our opportunity to go to darkness by consolidation of power. So you can have massive consolidation of power like never before. Before, at least you had all these kingdoms. They didn't, they didn't have internet, they didn't have phone, they didn't have all these, they couldn't like consolidate power as quickly. But now they have the ability to consolidate power in unimaginable ways. At the same time, we have the ability to also have a golden age and freedom in an unimaginable way. So you have these contradictions taking place. So. That, so that's a fundamental thing, right? So the tools are, do a finite set of people know more than the rest of us? And this hegemony of their power over all of us. Now, how they execute that could be many ways. One was directly just oppressing people. You know, I'm going to just go kill you. I'm just going to take over you. You shut the hell up. Or I'm going to put you in bondage, actual chains, and whip you and beat you, you know, etc. The other model is, I'm going to give you a little piece of land. And you can work the land, but you have to give me 30% of it. Right? So you felt, okay, I get some land, at least I don't get tortured. 
like before. The other models, we, we created manufacturing lines and put people on it. You get a little job, I give you a little paycheck, all right? Well, the new model of enslavement is essentially a consolidation of power where you manipulate people through incredible amounts of fear using fake science, outdated science, scientific consensus, and then those two things, so basically you're using ignorance and fear to manipulate people so they can have incredible amount of power, profit, and control. And this dynamic is a systems dynamic. Unfortunately, everyday people do not have a chance to step back and look at this. You know, I was very grateful that I had the opportunity to go to their elite institutions, get all their education, study with people like Noam Chomsky, study with left-wing, right-wing people, you know, take time back to really look at this and take it from an engineering systems approach. And when you come to the conclusion is it's just as much as we seek freedom, they seek oppression. So consulting companies like McKinsey, okay, these people are total, the deep state uh, brain trust of evil. These are people who graduate from some of the elite institutions. You know, there was a great man who once said, look, intellectuals are really not a class. They, can, they actually have to make a choice. Do you want to use all the knowledge you learn to be a weapon for oppression or a weapon for freedom? Now, I chose the latter, and to get back to the reason I chose that was because I have not forgotten who I am and where I came from. And when I went back to India, and you know, I came to the United States as a seven-year-old in 1970, I went back in 1975 because my grandmother was ill on my mom's side. And that's when I realized, oh my God, there's such a vast, I had taken the huts and the people who had very little as normal. But when I saw the difference, how humble these people were, leaving the train station back to the United States in 1975, I'll never forget the scene. My grandparents came crying with just deep love, David. And I, as a kid, said, you know what? This would be so effed up if I never did anything with my life. Like, I'm going to be, they have suffered for me for so many eons. So I had the opportunity to go to this whole new world, which they will never see and to get educated. So I made a decision as a 12 year old kid that I would be somebody who would free not only those people, but free all, be a part of all those people in New Jersey who are starting to become friends. And these were working class people, painters and landscapers who taught me stuff. Those became my people. So there's something deep that welled in me, man, that came from nowhere that said, you have a mission, which is to go learn and help free people. It, I can't explain it, but I haven't shared that yeah. with too many people, but it came from something so deep that has, I've never been disloyal to that. And I can't because yeah. it was something, when I saw my grandparents who were so connected to the earth and truth, that that's who my loyalties are to the, the, the Yugoslavian landscaper when I grew up, or a painter who came from nothing in New Jersey, who taught me how to paint homes and taught me excellence. I mean, these people, you know, I remember one time working with this guy, he said, look, if you're going to do something, do it with excellence or don't do it at all. So these people who had little monetarily, but they had immense amount of ethics. So if you contrast to the people today, the Gateses, the Fauci's, the Clintons, they have lost enormous uh, level of understanding or respect for what innovation and being human is. And the reality is there's 7.2 billion freaking people and all of them have innovation in their DNA. They're all human beings of incredible amount of light and spirit. But what they want to do is they want to diminish that and say only they are the enlightened ones. So when the invention of email facts came out, which I never wanted, and seven years ago my mom went into this, um, was dying, and in a suitcase she'd saved all of the artifacts, clearly showing I invented email. 
There's, it's not even black, it's not even gray. I wrote the first, all the 50,000 lines of code to capture every feature in the inner office mail system, inbox, outbox, folders, etc. Named it email as a 14 year old kid, a term never used before in the English language and got the first US copyright. Now when that went into the Smithsonian, after I had been on the front page of MIT, had an illustrious career at MIT, that didn't matter because the day it went into the Smithsonian, it shattered what you're talking about, the worldview of these frankly decrepit people who actually practice fake science and fascism. Yep. I was a good Indian when I was at MIT on the front page for inventing many things, winning my Fulbright Award, Echo Mail, but when I said, wait a minute, whoa, 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 I, my mom just died, look, I just put this in the Smithsonian, and the level of abuse calling me a curry-stained Indian who should be beaten and hanged, an asshole, a dick, and all this from Gawker Media. Thousands of calls coming into MIT asking for my firing. It was incredible. Why? I've been through it. I know exactly right. what you've been through. Right, but the narrative there, it wasn't about the invention of email because the facts are black and white, but they had to concoct a controversy on Wikipedia who's owned you know, by a guy who has no repute, right? And those people created that controversy because it wasn't about the invention of email. What it was about was the invention of email took place outside of their bastions. So I wasn't being a good Indian anymore. You know, they want the Indian who moves his head side to side and sits in the lotus position, talks very softly and will take a beating on its head. Like, frankly, Gandhi taught, which was completely nonsense. They don't want Indians because they have segregation models. Indians behave like this. Iranians behave like this. A, a blonde woman can't be really smart. They create these little, uh, and you have to look like a nerd, look all screwed up, and then you can say you invented email. But the fact of a good-looking Indian guy who actually can articulate, you know, play sports, saying I invented email, that blows their mind. So they have to compartmentalize people, so it's a dehumanization. So yeah. when you look at what these people are about, it's about an elitist model of consolidating power at all levels and denying other people's humanity. And the humanity we're talking about is what is what should you put in your body? What is good for you? Well, that surely must come from a guy with a white thing, with a tie, with a stethoscope, and he has to look like this, and he has to come from this narrative of academia, which by the way has become the oldest profession now, and that academic model is based on uh, playing the game getting funding from your masters fauci nih etc or you will never ever be a tenured professor you're done so it's about working towards me it's 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 about uh, regressing to the mean to the average so people have wacky ideas well i don't know about the speed of light nah get the hell out well you know this apple falls from the tree what's what's going on there this reflective approach to understand um you know what i, I noticed something interesting that some people get viruses and nothing happens to them and other people happens well what's going on there those questions are not allowed you have to regress to the mean that's what this is about and everyone yeah. else, so you basically treat everyone like a statistic so that model is about control because now you can make yourself a statistic in your database use data analytics data mine you can observe people and you can control people it's observable and this is so in some ways, the global elites, they see China as their amazing model. China is their experiment. Oh, isn't this great? We can make tons of iPhones there for nothing. We can make tons of vaccines there. We have a small set of people who tell everyone what to do. And if everyone goes protest against anti-pollution protests, which is what was happening in Wuhan, before all of this took place, 
destroy them. If people rise up in Hong Kong, destroy them. So this is a, a model which is fun. Let's go to money. You talked about Gates. What people need to understand about Bill Gates, forget the conspiracy part, which by the way, there isn't. When we talk about the deep state, that's really not conspiracy. The fundamental issue is Bill Gates, look at the facts he created Gavi, which is a consortium, the Vaccine Alliance. So on the one hand, he's there. On the other hand, Hillary Clinton is there. He gave her a hundred million, a billion into Gavi. And what is Gavi? It's Bill Gates and Hillary Clinton. Now Zuckerberg's gonna be their young man coming in. But these two people, the agenda is to be the front people. And Fauci's essentially a minor player. He's their insider with government. But they are the global leaders, Clinton Global Initiative, Bill and Melinda Gates, right? Global Vaccine Alliance. This is about a global play to serve trillionaires who want to make money off carbon tax. But those trillionaires see the entire pharma industry tanking. The entire pharma business is actually burning down. And why is it burning down? Because people like you, myself, others, for the last 20, 30, 40 years, starting in the 60s, have said, you know what? Maybe meditation is good for you. Maybe eating food is good for you. You know, Maybe the Hippocratic Oath actually makes sense. So that movement has been <laughs> escalating. And concomitantly, their model of drug development has been failing. Even the FDA is not allowing their most of their drugs because of safety issues. So given the destruction of their own industry it's like the snake eating its own tail they have to they say shit we got to figure out another way to make money and we want a way to make money that has no barriers to entry no liability vaccines uh no regulatory framework for actually doing testing vaccines and how about this we have a medicine that we can sell anyone that's no longer bifurcated by only diabetes, et cetera. Because, you know, there's only certain number because people are getting healthy. Maybe not everyone's going to have diabetes. What about we have something we can sell anyone that's mandated? Everyone freaking has to get it. What better opportunity than, than first of all, uh, fear mongering people on this thing called infections, the germ theory, how yeah. that works. Crying, crying panic crying panic and knowing that most people do not have time to go study the immune system for that matter most mds know jack about it because they maybe get if they're lucky 12 hours they don't even know what interferons are they probably don't know what the virome is microbiome none of that gut brain axis they've slogged it through they're sort of abused victims of the medical establishment and then they've given them a lot of ego to puff up many their own ignorance so they they have that model figured out what they did not figure out was that there would be people like me who have actually a conscience, who have decided to that they that that my connections, your connections, and everyone listening here, that we actually still believe there is a God, that we actually believe there is spirit, that we all we still believe that we are beings of light, and that that initiative uh, they never counted on. You see, they never count on these con- sort of confounding variables. And that's and, and it's and it seems like this group that believes in God, believes in a higher power, believes in spirit, believes in the ennoblement of the human um, endeavor is growing. It's growing because you're you're bringing up a pattern. You're a systems guy. You're a systems engineer. Do you see as an, as an overarching process that's happening to our whole entire civilization that more and more people are starting to realize that the system that we have isn't serving them it's parasitic 
and it's taking advantage of people's irresponsibility and utilizing that as a weapon against people who are responsible. That's a great. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a great point, David. It's it's basically um, you make a really good point. What what the model here is to <laughs> it's basically an addiction model, right? So you want to make people outsource their responsibility to someone else. So you outsource your responsibility for what you should eat to someone else. So in systems theory, there's two kinds of systems. I talk, by the way, there's a whole program that, uh, you know, when I finished my PhD in 2007, you know, systems biology created this really cool technology called Cytosolve, which helps us, you know, model molecular pathways. You and I have talked about it on the business side, so we can really validate what works, what doesn't, so we could even eliminate the snake oil amongst... Just before you let that go, let everyone know about that side of you because I haven't heard that in any of your interviews. If you could just take a minute and talk about this software model that you've been working on, which is so tremendous and so interesting, I think people would appreciate it. So I'm going to ask you to digress for a second. Yeah, so, so let, let me talk. So, so look, I still invent stuff. I still write code. I love... You know, I get up at four in the morning, I have a whole team and we still work. So besides running, you see this part of me educating people. There's another part of me which is running a whole team for a Senate campaign. And there's another part of me which actually gets up and is reading papers and looking at kinetic rate constants and looking at molecular pathways, you know, going through and actually writing code, working with our team. There's this whole other side of me. I wish I could share all that, but uh, I've it's always... It's cool though. What you're doing is just, you're, you're taking... What you're doing is where technology is supposed to go, which is we look at the individual, we create better individualized medicine, which is a big summary of what you do, but it is part of what you do, which is so beautiful because what we know about the individual human being is that there are as many diets and as many supplements and as many herbs as there are human beings on earth, you know, in terms of strategies and, and approaches. Yeah, so let me talk about Cytosol, okay? So, so um, look, everything is a system, right? So, and a system is an interconnection of parts. Email is actually a system. It's not simple text messaging. It's interconnection of the inbox, outbox folders, and email is a system that I invented. I did not invent electronic messaging, which I never claimed to, but I invented email, period. Now, when you look at a cell in the human body, one way of looking at that is that it is a, it is a chemical factory, and we have about six trillion of these little factories, a bunch of cells, that communicate with each other, different kinds of cells, about 100 different cells. Inside that cell is a bunch of chemical reactions taking place. So what is a chemical reaction? A chemical reaction is chemical A interacting with chemical B, the simple case to get chemical C. A plus B gets C. Everyone probably remembers high school chemistry, but if you didn't, I'll remind you, sodium plus chloride gives you sodium chloride. When sodium meets chloride and it marries it together and it creates sodium chloride, there's a little arrow how fast that gets created, how much sodium chloride gets created, this is called a chemical reaction. Okay, in certain conditions, you get a lot of sodium chloride. In other cases, you won't get a lot of sodium chloride. So that's one chemical reaction. Now imagine, in this moment, in one of your cells, there are millions of chemical reactions going on. And those chemical reactions, if you could, imagine this, if you could theoretically capture those chemical reactions, understand each one of them, which means map them out, and... Model them. Well, mathematically calculate them. It's, it's basically through stoichiometry. Uh, this is like, it's not even modeling. We, ex what's cool about chem physical chemistry is we can exactly calculate. If I have sodium, so, so much sodium, sodium chloride under this pH, I will get sodium, sodium chloride. 
And this is what the beauty of chemistry is. Chemistry is a beautiful science. So what ended up happening after the genome project in 2003 is people said, wait a minute, we're not just our genes. We only have 20,000 genes. Oh my God, we thought if you have this gene, you're gonna get this disease and it's game, set, match. What we learned was we don't have a million genes. We have the same number of genes as a worm. So it flipped biology on its head in 2003, which is the time I came back to MIT to do my PhD. And the reason I came back was my advisor wouldn't let me leave. He said, Shiva, you can essentially use all your computing skills and your love of biology. Imagine if you could create a technology which could literally create the capability of we could take in any field the known science and understand all the chemical reactions and model the entire human cell, all the chemical predictive equations. Now, this was seen as an impossible task, but I like those kind of things. And so I decided to come back. And what I saw here was, if you think, again, think about the body as all these chemical reactions. So I ended up creating Cytosolve, which was, in many ways, email was a great invention, Echomail was great, but Cytosolve, in many ways, is equally or greater than email because we have the capability now to really use the computer as scientific discoveries are being made of all those little chemical reactions. That's what's going on in all these millions of labs all over the world. One scientist is trying to study cancer and he figures out one little ball and stick diagram, one little A plus B, sodium plus chloride. Another guy's figuring this out. The problem in reductionist science, the scientific establishment is, they're not interested in connecting the dots because it may reveal something that goes against their narrative. They give you a Nobel Prize. If you find sodium plus chloride, give sodium chloride. You win a beautiful Nobel Prize for that. So what I, when I looked at this problem, I said, wait a minute, this is not a chemistry problem. This is not a computer science problem. This is actually an engineering systems problem. I looked at it very differently as an engineer. We have the human body. It's got all these chemical reactions taking place. We don't know all of them yet. We don't, but biologists are figuring out little pieces. And what they do is they're like knowledge engineers. They figure out a piece and they publish it somewhere in what's called a journal paper. Now, if I could take a field like osteoarthritis or Alzheimer's or cancer, and I could find that body of knowledge, we know it's not perfect, but that's what we have to work with, and I could extract each of those chemical reactions and create an environment where you could connect not only the dots, nice pretty diagrams, but actually compute them. This was seen as intractable. But the way I approached it was philosophically the way we should approach all human existence is decentralize this. So I said, let's keep them not as monolithically as one big thing, which is what they were trying to do. The establishment always thinks monolithically, okay? Because they want to control everything. I said, let's keep it separately. And I will create almost an orchestra conductor in the sky, a computing engine, which will probe each one of those and bring them together. That was Cytosol. So that was 2007. So it's Cytosol. So when I finished it, we said, wow, pharma guys should want to use this. Their industry is burning down and they're creating all these toxic drugs you know, we could probably go help them at least alleviate. And I didn't know a lot about vaccines at the time. And we applied for one of the SBIR DARPA grants and they didn't want to use us. We lost because they said they wanted a hardware solution. But many years later, I realized that we could use our technology to actually figure out why vaccines are harmful. And in fact, we have it on our website. So when I attacked Bobby Kennedy, for example, um, showing that he was attacking Gates, but he wasn't attacking Clinton. Bobby Kennedy's own minion said, oh, this guy's running a vaccine manufacturing company. Okay. Picking out the sentence we had where we were actually wanting to help tux identify toxicity. And by the way, challenge anyone, if you know any vaccine manufacturing companies, let it come to us and we'll expose it. But the point is the herbs and nutraceutical products, according to the 11th Circuit Court ruling, David, you may not be aware of this in 2015, 
the FTC was at, was well, lost a big court battle. It turns out you don't have to kill animals and do those kinds of clinical studies only. If you can show biological mechanisms of how, let's say, eating you know turmeric and resveratrol actually lowers inflammation, and you can show the mechanisms, which is what Cytosol is able to do, you can actually use that to go and challenge the FTC and say, no, this does in fact work. So Cytosol is not only a powerful tool for discovery. We, for example, wanted to play with the big boys because no one's going to believe us in the scientific establishment if we don't play with pharma. So there was a paper that came out that said if you're going to solve cancer, you have to be able to use cocktails of drugs. So we said, and, and that paper referenced my thesis. I don't know any of these guys. So we raised a little bit of money and we literally modeled all the molecular pathways of pancreatic cancer. We took every of the pharmaceutical companies, 252 drugs, and we did two drug combinations. We actually figured out two that did better than their gemcitabine, lower toxicity, and we applied for the FDA. We never done this before, about 10,000 pieces of paper we had to apply, and we actually got a call from the FDA. And it was an interesting conversation. The guy who called us said, you know, we never do outbound calls, rarely, but we were so impressed by what you were doing. Remember, the FDA is about lowering toxicity. They said, we see what you're doing as a future of 23rd century medicine. So anyway, they allowed this combination, all done on the computer, no animals killed. And then we went to MD Anderson and we did a partnership with them. Point is, this technology allows us to aggregate, amalgamate, integrate human knowledge. So we're not reliant on Harvard's narrative of cancer or, or, or one guy, Fauci's narrative of the immune system. That's what they've created. They want us to bow down to one institution and that's what happens in science. One guy becomes a 900 pound gorilla in the field and he tells David Wolf, you're, you don't know what you're talking about, and they, or et cetera. And what we've done is we, we've decentralized this because there could be a young graduate student in a state college who d- discovers something that goes against the narrative. We'll integrate that knowledge. So Cytosol yeah. in many ways is, is a scientific source of truth. So, how many papers? How many papers have you integrated into Cytosol? Sixteen thousand, twenty thousand. Oh my God! Yeah, I should have. We should do a. We should have Provoker come on. We should. So one example we just did was I gave a talk at the Arthritis Foundation about. Give you an example about um, three years ago. I don't know anything about arthritis except a few courses on, but I, I gave a talk about this amazing capability we have because you know many of these foundations have been around for years basically becoming their own establishment, Breast Cancer Foundation, a multi-billion dollar institute, the woman who runs it gets a nice multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar, multi-million dollar pension, nice beautiful pink ribbons, they've done jack for solving breast cancer, okay? We're so, we're so tired of it, Dr. Shiva, yeah. we really are, we're so tired of the nonsense, so, so, so glad you're bringing, bringing awareness yeah. to it. So, so these foundations, like the Gates Foundation, they all have this beautiful PR machinery, we're gonna save the world, we're gonna help all the poor people, but beneath it is nothing about solving anything. It's about perpetuating their foundation. So, so I gave a talk at the Arthritis Foundation. I said, look, all you little scientists, and these are all the leading guys in the world in osteoarthritis research. I said, you don't play together. I said, this technology now gives you no excuse. Anyway, there were three questions. In that case, we went to 22,000 papers. 22, Jeez, just in that subject. Yes, osteoarthritis. So what is osteoarthritis? It's different than, you know, it's where you actually have mechanical damage that takes place, right? Athletes suffer this, right? As you age, uh, it's a tearing away of a cartilage and synovial tissue and fat cells. So we went through 22,000 papers, and from and this we did this in about less than you know a year and a half. You, 
you know, the establishment, you know, if they did it, they'd ask you for a billion dollars donation, they'd go on forever and they never would solve anything. But in less than two years, we literally took every paper in, and then out of those 22,000, we found 5,500, which had to do with human cells. We took those and we mapped, it's quite extraordinary, every molecular reaction, we have that. And by the way, we're gonna be giving this away to humanity. This is gonna be an open source thing. That's what we decided because the University Health Network of Canada, where you're from, funded our research for pennies, you know? And using Jeez. that, we've mapped ginseng. Ginseng inhibits the IL-1 beta MMPP13 pathway. And they can understand that if people disagree with us, citizen science, people can give us back feedback, tell us why, and we'll feed it back. It's quite, it's gonna be cool, man. It's gonna be the first- It's so cool. You it seems like what you're what you're going to be able to do and what you're capable of doing probably right now is you're able to find non-obvious combinations exactly. of that could have profound effects. Exactly. Is that Yeah. And and if you think about it this is all this is fundamentally the way uh, even according to intellectual property protection um, this will force the industry look at the natural products industry is huge 70 80,000 people go over to this thing called Expo West. That industry also is becoming polluted by people who just jump into it, really don't have an interest. Oh, let me just start a company. I'll put some crap together. I'll put some good model or some celebrity. We'll market it and then we'll flip it. X. The opportunity here is we can actually, the cool thing is there are amazing stuff that my grandmother would combine A, B, and C. Um, there are things that work. If we, Cytosolve has a capability to find those, validate them in the establishment science but in fact doing it better than them. So the cool thing is with Cytosol, we've sort of checkmated the establishment because it's out of MIT. You know, uh, then we got a drug allowed by it, by the FDA, so they can't say it's bullshit. Then I've written papers in Nature Neuroscience, which is one of the number one high impact journals, and in Cell, so they can't say this guy's a fraud, which is what they try, typically try to say. Um, well, I've published in your journals, and you've put it through peer review, your peer review, and furthermore, all these companies are coming to me who actually wanna do great science. Like we have companies like Juice Plus who've been existing for years, science-based companies. So what we're attracting now is, as you say, the golden age of these cool companies who actually don't wanna do bullshit. They actually wanna do real stuff and they recognize this is gonna help them do that. So that's what Cytosolv is. Cytosolv is a way uh, to really identify what works and it's a, it's a weapon because we can say F you to these people which is what we yep. always needed because these people have gotten away, as you said, when you started with bullying, they basically bully people. I'm Bill Gates, I'm a dropout out of Harvard. Well, you stole DOS, you didn't really create it. Your mama and yep. papa really helped you flip it. And then you brought in a ruthless guy like Steve Ballmer, who would sell his mother if you talked to him. And that's how you created Microsoft. And yep. in your product has shitloads of bugs in it, but that's okay. And because you can just pummel that on everyone, and then you've created a neo-colonialist model. I mean, we can get into this, right? So, but with with that, I do want to get into. I want to get into because you know you you are so knowledgeable, Dr. Shiva, in ways that we don't often hear. And I do want to get into just we've talked about the microbiome, the microbiome. Yeah. Right. This is such a big area of research going on for so many decades now, and hardly anybody knows anything about it. So I want you to get into a little bit about like what you think coronavirus is, the microbiome, and then just immunological strategies that are appropriate from your position, your understanding, such as vitamin D3, vitamin C, vitamin A, etc. 
Yeah, so I think that's part of what we wanted to talk about, right? Food is medicine. So let's, so, you know, I gave a, uh, I was asked to give the distinguished lecture at the National Science Foundation in November. So again, this is something that people should understand, uh, is that it's not some guy that they typically like to brand, right? So even in their own institutions, I was invited to give the distinguished lecture at the National Science Foundation as early as November on the modern science of the immune system. So to, to what you're sharing, David, the old model of the immune system was just two boxes. interacts with our own ecosystem, tons of germs we interact with every day. Through, you know, so sometimes you get an allergy season, people start itching, are they coughing? These are all your innate immune system responding. That's box one. Now in the old model of the immune system used to develop vaccines, the other box was called the adaptive immune system. This initially tried to take out the enemy or the pathogen, and if that went through its process and then the adaptive at the immune system, it's frankly, and many people will agree with me, there's a great paper called Systems Immunology that was written in 2017. And it basically says this whole system is outdated. It needs a complete refurbishment. It's, it's wrong. And what emerges is it's not just two boxes. We have many more boxes. We definitely know there's the microbiome, which is all those gut bacteria, 60 trillion of them. Then we have another 380 trillion viruses, virome. And these viruses, uh, the difference between bacteria and viruses are quite different, right? A bacteria is actually an organism. Viruses really don't exist per se until they interact with something, right? Their existence comes as an emergent property of their interaction. And these, the virome actually works with our body. They work with bacteria um, and, and processes that we don't fully understand. So we're at a whole new version. I, I, I want to just touch on that right there. That is such an important point. For example, I was recently studying Skip Virgin's material, and he was talking about research they were doing on herpes viruses and other viruses and how it was down-regulating um, the ability of listeria to infect the organism, meaning that they were gaining um, immunological benefit yeah. from these Epstein-Barr viruses. That was we understand so little of the virome yeah. and its effects. I was very, very impressed by just how, how in that particular um, presentation. Arms, which actually turns out they're beneficial for you, right? So we have had this very, uh, you have to understand, the notion of Western medicine, which is phenomenal if you get totally annihilated in some way, like you get in a, God, God forbid someone gets in a massive car crash or some accident. It's great after the fact. Surgery, steroids, I mean, you may need some of this in the extreme cases, right? But it comes out of war. The entire history of Western medicine comes out of wartime medicine. And I, uh, if people go to this, uh, the your body, your system, and systems health, I've set up an institute where I teach people how the body is a system, and I've made it essentially. I'm, I'm gonna make sure we get all your links. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so if people go to systemshealth.com, after I finished my PhD, David, in, in, I took two years off, and if, uh, if people type in East meets West, I agree, you'll see this front page of MIT, where people are like, why does this guy want to go back to India? I took two years off, won a Fulbright scholarship, again, a very competitive scholarship. I think at MIT, they only gave three or four away that year. And I went back to India, and I wanted to understand why my grandmother was able to do this, and I wanted to do it with all my chops as a Western systems biologist. And what I discovered was, that the entire system of Eastern medicine is actually the lingua franca matches one-to-one -one with engineering control systems theory. That resulted when I got back uh, to MIT, I created a course called Systems Health. 
And now I've made it accessible to anyone. You don't have to go to MIT in about you know 15 hours. You can learn it. You don't have to pay thousands of dollars, a couple hundred bucks. And then you can actually start your own university, decentralization. You can teach others, learn, teach, and serve as that model. And then we have a capability on the website if people go to Shiva for Senate called, um, uh, if people want to support that, you know, if you go to the donate link on Shiva for Senate, we, I've done two things. I hate taking money without giving anything. In fact, what we've done is people can learn in a much more simpler way if you're not ready for systems health. If you go to the website, you can get a book called Systems and Revolution. I teach you what is revolution from a system standpoint. And then you can learn your body, your system, and we give it away like for 25 bucks. If people can't afford that, give us five or 10. If you can't do that, write to me, vashiva at vashiva.com, and I'll give you a full scholarship. You know, it's on the honor system. But anyway, the reason I shared that was the goal here is to educate people how the body is a system. Now, if you understand that, you start understanding that the immune system is not just the adaptive, not just the immune, it's the integration of multiple processes. And so when you come to the virus, we, and you look at history of Western medicine, which didn't take a systems approach. It was about putting a soldier back on the field, and period. And the, and the, and the inventor of the modern system, healthcare system was Florence Nightingale. She wasn't just a nurse. So that, so that was beneficial for putting a soldier back on the field. So in that system of medicine, everything is an enemy. You attack, attack, attack. We gotta go blow up that tumor. We gotta attack that virus, right? Look, look at the analogies that are used. When in fact, that dualistic model may be completely wrong. We have 380 trillion viruses. Maybe they're our friends. Maybe when we get measles, it offsets other diseases which we now know. This is written in the literature. When you get measles through the natural process or chickenpox, you are less, uh, uh, you, have, you have a less proclivity to getting other diseases. So maybe nature, and, it's, and by the way, no one understands the interferon system. The interferon system is quite extraordinary. Separate from the innate and the and adaptive, which you're lucky if most MDs even learn that, they never learn about the interferon system in its depth, which is what my PhD thesis was, where we completely not understood, but mathematically modeled it. We can see that when you get a virus coming in you, something inter interesting happens, David. The virus actually creates interferons, interfering substances, cytokines, which, and at a much more deeper level, what's been since learned about five years ago is that interferon system upregulates nearly thousands of other genes which protect you against other viruses. So what does that mean? That means perhaps nature in its wisdom is waiting for you to get viruses so you're protected against other viruses beyond just antibody protection. This is something that everything is about. The, everything is in Western medicine is reductionist. I just want this antibody. I'm only going to look here. Well, Nature is far more complex than that. So the complexity here is that maybe viruses aren't our enemies. Maybe this is, maybe we shouldn't even call them viruses, okay? Let, let's, let's get into that a little bit because there's a lot of people talking about exosomes and trying to differentiate a virus from an exosome. Can we differentiate them? I don't know. You see, one of the interesting thing is, David, we are on such a bold new area of medicine. And the reason I say that is when you looked at the, um, when you looked at the first uh, 20, we, when we started the genome project, we thought we had about uh, 100,000, 200,000 genes. Now we know we only have 20,000 genes, the same number of genes as a worm. Uh, Gerald Fink, who's a biologist at MIT, just gave a lecture about a year ago, and he said, you know what? We need to redefine what a gene is. It's a very cool lecture. So what is a gene? The notion of a gene before was a, a molecule which you know, creates a protein. 
So you have a gene. So if you want the color blue in your eyes, this gene codes through what's called messenger RNA for a protein which creates your blue eyes, let's say, okay? So every when we talked about 20,000 genes, what he was saying is that's only 2% of the genome, which is a protein coding genes. However, the other 98% they just discovered, what those do is they also create other substances called RNAs, ribonucleic acids, which actually are controls for the other protein coding genes. So what this does is, what he's saying, we need to now redefine genes, not as genes which create protein coding genes, but genes which create ribonucleic acids. That's a new definition. So what that means is, and, and what he ended his talk with saying, he goes, remember Star Trek goes to boldly go where no man or woman has gone before? He says, that's where we are. We don't even know Jack, okay? That's, we don't even know what, what that other 98% is doing. So for the hubris of a Fauci, the hubris of a Bill Gates, the hubris of these people to say that everyone should get vaccinated, standardized vaccines for one size fits all, when we're now finding that you can turn on and turn off your genes, that you have a, you have a very, your epigenetics is constantly changing. So what you need, and based on what you want, if you wanna be an Olympic athlete, or you wanna be a yogi, or you wanna be, you know, just hanging out and getting fat all day, it's up to you. How you wanna achieve that is a personal decision. What inputs you wanna put into your body is a personal decision. To impose that in a Chinese Communist Party type model, top down, is anti-human, and it's anti-science. So we only know a little piece of the genome, we're just finding out 98%, we're finding, we don't even know what all these virums are, we don't know even if we can look at exosomes, right, or look at virums, right? So we don't know a lot. But what we do know is that when you go back to traditional systems of medicine, that food is medicine. And this has been yeah. an age old truth. We do know, to your question, on, we do know that we have a, we live on a planet and there's this body called the sun, 6,000 degrees Kelvin, and everything on earth would go away if that sun didn't exist. Are we not connected to that in an intimate way through something called UV, UVB radiation, which turns on D3 in our body? And that D3 creates catholicidins, which literally are our weapons for breaking up you know, the, the cell membrane of my, microbes that are not good for us. So the issue is, why are we not talking about that when these are actually known truths? We are talking about unknown areas that we don't know anything about and trying to create a whole medical policy around that. That is- This is, this is one of your most important points, I have to say. It's just amazing how well you, you articulate this. We're listening to Fauci never talk about vitamin D never talk about vitamin C, immediately dismissing hydroxychloroquine, immediately dis dismissing zinc, which we know so much about those things. But then when it comes to the virome, oh, most people never even heard of the virome. They don't even know it exists. They don't even right. know about the 380 trillion viruses in our body right now. And, and then you get into Skip Virgin's work or any other virologist like him, and they'll say, oh, you know, if we got to this point with this organism, and then we vaccinated this organism at this stage but this one wasn't here are the downstream effects which are completely different in both organisms and both animals both cell lines whatever they're looking at and it's just crazy how experimental i call it frankenstein mangala getaway with murder uh, medicine yeah and, 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 and i think you're i think you're not that far off david look you know, you work in a biology lab, you do computing, you see the complexity of all of this. And what you do know is nature, we are integrated with nature. We're not separate from it. So the notion of the separation is part of the Western 
model of science, which is, by the way, Western uh, uh, healthcare model, which is valuable if you get your, God forbid, your arm, you know, something happened to you and you want microsurgery done. But that is not the model of existence. And, and, and the reality shows in the data, the United States has a highest infant mortality rate. Think about that. In the Western world, a $22 trillion economy, the lowest longevity rate, 35% obesity rates, um, you know, 640,000 people die of um, heart disease. And these are probably low numbers, right? 500,000 people of cancer every year. These are yearly numbers. But more importantly, 1.9 million hospitalizations from dr drug adverse reactions and about 200,000 people die from that. These are again conservative numbers and another 440,000 people you know, die in the hospitals by merely entering there. They were fine and they get killed in there. So if we wanna talk about public health, let's shut down the whole economy and maybe we should do that. Let's shut that freaking down everything and do a huge reset and tell people during this reset, we're gonna grow organic farms. We're gonna destroy companies like Monsanto, completely indict these guys throw them in jail, let's do a real hard reset. But that's not what this is about. This is not about public health. This is about controlling and, and, and scaring the shit out of everyone. So what we will do one year from now, mark my words, if we don't rise up and revolt against this, and that's what we should be doing, we will basically one year from now, Fauci or, or his whatever will come in and we'll say, you know what? David, you can't get your driver's license. We gotta see your immunity card. You can't travel there. You can't go to the gym. and the neighbors who've also been made ignorant by fear, they will also call you out. It'll be Gestapo. They will use your neighbors to attack you. And that is what is going on. That is why it's so important that we educate our fellow brothers and sisters with not fear and ignorance, but with truth. And the truth is that we live on a planet which has a thing called the sun, which produces amazing things for us, getting to vitamin A now. So if we know vitamin D3 protects our uh, basically it's an antimicrobial. That's why in the letter to Trump, I said, look, take all those people who are immunocompromised at least for two days, give them high dosage vitamin D, 50,000 per two days. By the way, the dosages I'm talking about are well written in the literature. Then I said, if you want to protect the walls of the cell, this is also written about. Some great doctors like my friend Roby Mitchell and others do this in their practice, right? They give people vitamin A. By the way, the dosage I said for people who are immunocompromised, are the same dosages that you give for children, 400,000 IU. They used to do this for people who had measles to lessen the symptoms very fast uh, for two days. Well, what does vitamin A do? Vitamin A produces amazing sheets around your cytoskeleton, cytokeratin sheets, which protect your cell wall so the virus bounces off. You know, to put it simply, can't get in. And if it does get in, you have vitamin D. Well, where do we get vitamin A? From the amazing fruits and vegetables, David, which you've been promoting for years, right? You were, you know, the raw food model. There's many ways you can get these amazing dark green, leafy green vegetables or the purple fruits. And there's enough literature showing people who ate these purple, dark vegetables that they lived considerably healthier lives. The other thing is, let's start reducing sugar. Why is it that the FDA forces companies to label something a jam and a jelly? It has to have 40% sugar. You know, one of the other things, Dave, David, I did separate from Systems Health and Cytosolve is I created a, a, a certification. I did it for the raw food industry called Clean Food Certified. And that, and we were talking to a woman who wanted to get certified. She goes, Shiva, do you know that my jams and jellies, I make them from scratch, organic. I only pick berries when they're in season. She goes, I have to add sugar in order for them to be certified as a jam or a jelly by the FDA. So we give people shitloads of sugar and that sugar 
creates candida, and that fungus essentially knocks out gliotoxins, creates gliotoxins, which shunt down your one of your cylinders of your immune system, your macrophages, and your T cells. So now you're just, you know, your two arms are tied behind your back and you're just kicking, and that's called your cytokine storm. And that is what is trying to fight, that it goes crazy and it not only attacks virus particles, but it also goes attacks, and we're, it's unclear whether the virus particles are even dangerous. It's probably these things are going and attacking your own body because the virus particles goes embed in different part, areas of your body. So just to summarize, in the immune system, if you want to really look at it, and if Fauci really cared, by the way, he's the guy who created the entire with Gallo, the fraud of HIV causing AIDS. So, Total absolutely. freaking fraud. Okay? You knew Peter Duesberg. I remember you saying that. So did I. I met Peter Duesberg in 1990. He stayed with my neighbors. I lived in a I just spoke to Peter about there. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. It was yeah. amazing. Yes. Yeah, so, came so, down. I was going to school at UC Santa Barbara at that time, and he was the first guy. I went over there one night, and he laid it down on us. Like the whole thing, the HIV story was there's no possible way it's the main cause of the condition it's not it cannot singularly cause all these effects the whole thing and yes so was, so they, that was impressive i saw you bring him up I was yeah like, yes yeah, oh, so, so so david in that case the, if you look at the case of if we want to talk about the hiv causality causing aids was based on complete fake science and but what they do is they created such a powerful narrative because they got all the aids industry involved they got all the celebrities involved and that's how this sort of works, right? You take the academic prostitutes and the celebrity prostitutes and you bring them together. Not to say they're not some great sincere actors in Hollywood or some great scientists, but year over year over year, they're getting diminished. They get pushed to the sidelines. So the great actors who really practice art as a craft, you know, it's lucky if they get to come to the forefront. It's basically yeah. people who are willing to, uh, willing to take golden handcuffs. So it's a big difference between celebrity and you know, true art. The big difference between academic and science. So what we've done is, um, Peter Duisberg is a serious scientist. One of the youngest guys who got tenure at Berkeley, one of the youngest guys in the National Academy of Sciences. And what Peter basically said is, let's practice science. One of the aspects in virology, defined by uh, Robert Koch, who won the Nobel Prize for Koch's postulates, is this, if you wanna prove, like in, if you were in a, a district attorney, you wanted to prove this guy is a criminal of this crime, this, you have to show four things. One of those things is you have to show in the host being, so let's say you want to show, you know, uh, scurvy is caused by this pathogen, which by the way, people try to push, scurvy. And, and so you would have to find an abundance of that microbe, not just one microbe, because we all have one little of something in us, but an abundance of it in that host object, which is practicing, let's say scurvy teeth is falling out. Then you, step one, then you have to be able to take that microbe from that person and culture it on a dish outside of the body and be able to take that culture and stick it in, in vivo, into another animal and see the exact same symptoms. So in the case of scurvy, you would have to take that virus or pathogen, put it into maybe a hamster, poor hamster, right, poor rabbit, and see its teeth start falling out. And then you should be able to take the virus again and verify that it was the same one. This is called Koch's postulate. What they've never done this with uh, HIV and Peter brought this up, and even when they did it, it was quite fraudulent. Yeah. Now Robert Gallo, who was they, they've never they've never done it with viral diseases. Period. Exactly, very very few, if any. Okay, very few. Now, so when after the polio quote unquote victory, then all these vir virus guys were hanging out. They didn't know what to do. Then you had the advent, the advance of what was going on with the National Institute of Health post World War II 
post-Sputnik, people were starting to build big science. And these virus hunters were like, shit, we're going to lose our jobs. So they pointed their guns at cancer. Cancer was the next big epidemic for money making. So they pointed their guns and they created the theory of retroviruses. Viruses were the cause of cancer. Now, Peter Duisberg was the guy who first discovered the first oncogene. And Peter said, yeah, I discovered it, but he said it's not true. He himself who discovered one of the first, you know, the oncogene said it's not true. But then they built an industry for another 20 years, 30 years on the virus theory of cancer. Basically, the goal has been to blame some pathogen. It's like a DA blaming some poor guy for committing this crime. Like basically you're saying Ruben Hurricane Carter killed this person, right? And you just want to pin the crime on somebody. And yeah. But that pinning of the crime on somebody is quite profitable because the solution they have is vaccinations, vaccinations, vaccinations. So the science is flawed, but the fundamental understanding for everyone to understand is your immune system is quite freaking resilient. And the reason it loses its resilience is when we ourselves, like you said, do not take responsibility for our own lives and we destroy it by wrong foods and we don't fight and we don't put the right people in leadership who give us dirty air, dirty water, dirty food. We pe people like Elizabeth Warren, who's part of the not so obvious establishment, she voted for the Monsanto Protection Act. Or we put people like Hillary Clinton who took money from the Monsanto and Gates Foundation and we present them as part of the fighters. And then we look to people and we create these ethos as we, we are causing this problem because we need to open our eyes and we need to let go. When I attack Bobby Kennedy, what's I, Bobby's probably a nice guy. That's not the issue. But you can't be attacking Bill Gates, Bobby. And on the other hand, give a free pass to Hillary Clinton. You can't do that. It's bullshit. You're not, you're a fake fighter because what yeah, you're doing is you're you. pur purposely misleading these mothers are coming out, people who are wondering, and they say, oh, the Kennedys, the Kennedys, oh, Bobby's a nice guy. Uh, talk, you know, whatever, he has his thing, right? They talk their way, but then you're not, you're allowing this criminal to get away. That makes you a criminal, I'm sorry. So if a guy like me who came from nothing has to do it, who has no you know, connections to the Kennedys, I don't care about that nonsense, well, I'm gonna do it. But people need to recognize, do we wanna win? Do we want freedom and truth and health? Or do we want to lose over and over and over again and have slavery? Because the march of human history has not been the establishment. You look at the story of Jesus Christ. Who turned him in? It was Judas with a kiss. Okay, with a freaking kiss, Judas turned him in. It wasn't the Romans. It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. His own people who claimed that they were against the Romans. And that is an important systems, political systems lesson people need to know. That your true fighters will come bottoms up. They're not going to be top down. And yeah. John Kennedy, I'm sorry, was a great guy, but I don't believe the Kennedys have a hegemony on fighting for everyone's rights. They don't. And historically, if you look at it, even if you look at Martin Luther King, great guy, great speech, but you know what happened? We never solved the infrastructure problem in inner cities. We never gave infrastructure. We threw some bones like affirmative action, don't use the N-word, and then you know, you're not a racist. No, institutional racism was Bill Gates and Hillary Clinton practice. Using people in Africa and India and Thailand for cheap labor, for cheap cost, because a pharmaceutical takes $25,000 for testing here, they go do it there. They denounce, they put down their economies, they put down their indigenous medicines. That's racism. And those yeah. racists are the multi-racial liberal aristocracy from Obama to Clinton to go down the list. The Bushes, the whole group. The Bushes, everyone, the Bushes, they're all the same. They're they're all the the same. same. And I think yeah. the sooner people wake up to that reality is when a revolution will occur like that, David. The yeah. revolution will occur when we yeah. break. I want 
ask you two questions because yep. your knowledge of traditional Vedic herbs is very good. So I want to ask about that. But before that, and I know all my friends are wanting to ask you this question, what do you think viruses actually are? Like not the actual exosome or what's being pushed out of the cell due to contagion. What do you think that contagion actually is when it gets out of control and suddenly you have an eruption of herpes zoster, for example, or something of that nature? Yeah, so let's talk about it. It's a good question. Um, so what is, look, first of all, we need to understand there are many things that cause your body to react, right? And, uh, and the issue is, is that reaction bad? Let's talk about that, right? We have this notion, oh my God, I have this reaction. I just got a rash, right? So we have this notion that that activity is something bad. My view is that is a signal for our body that there's some input that we need to do or it's going through some process, from systemic process. So let's look at it from an engineering standpoint. Um, if your car suddenly starts sputtering in some way, right, or has some dysfunction, you don't immediately basically say, I gotta get a new car, right? Or you don't immediately try to take some harsh action. A good mechanic will try to identify what the systems issue there is and try to identify that particular situation for that case. Typically, a output, take systems here, you have an input, you have transport, conversion, and storage, you have a particular output. The output that's taking place that is not functional to where your body is supposed to be, you know, on your body, your system, we call it your homeostasis, right? Everyone has a particular homeostasis. So there's something that has occurred that's taken your body out of homeostasis. So the art here is figuring out what that is, and therefore medicine is an art and an information science. It's not one size fits all. So what's right for you may not be right for me. Some people, whatever, they get herpes, right? And other people will go through the exact same thing and they don't get it. So, the react, so it's a reaction of the body to a particular condition and it's in a particular state. So I would argue from a systems perspective, can you move that body from the state that's in back to some homeostasis where it knows how to manage that? So that's the fundamental question. You're in this disturbed state, you wanna bring it back here. So what are the ways to go from here to here? Okay, some people say we need to vaccinate you, okay? Some people may say, look, um, you are missing certain nutritional deficiencies. It's your body overreacting in some ways. Some people may say, you know, that is actually an organism that has taken over your body at that point and is growing something, a fungi, etc. Well, for each one of those three things, you have to take a very appropriate view. So if it's something actually growing, if it is damaging to your body, well, there are many types of things you can take, right? Many herbs, many products, etc. But I think we have to look at it from that, that standpoint. It's not about one size fits all. So what I'm trying to say is we still do not know all the different mechanisms that reach to that individual person. You know, you have a household of 10 people, one person gets a cold, the other nine people aren't getting it, or three people get it. So it's clear that each one of us is a unique body and each one of us must find out what's right for you, the right medicine for the right person at the right time. So if we go to that principle, now we have a much more uh, open viewpoint of what's right. Right, both and, of us. And more natural. And it's more a much, natural. much more natural, but it leads to an important conclusion, David. And that conclusion is we need to decentralize medicine. Medicine it comes from if you're my healthcare practice, not you telling me what you and I interrogate each other. You're smelling me, looking at me, understanding me, know my background history, and you say, you know, Shiva, what about this? And it's an interactive process, and health emerges from that interaction. That's real health, so it has to be decentralized. It cannot be top down. Now, why would you do top-down medicine? There's only one reason. If you wanted to distribute a solution 
one-size-fits-all solution. But if you wanted to heal people, you would take the time to figure out what's right for that individual, for the right person at the right medicine at the right time. So that's what it comes down to. So each one of us has all different, I mean, the body's a freaking complicated thing, right? You could have, I mean, I just got two dogs, right? And I will always get some type of flu symptoms two years, you know, every year, something, you know, I'll get runny nose, something happens, you know, it's my body engaging. This year I've got nothing at all, in no way. Now, I know that those dogs are bringing in so much freaking dirt that it's, I think I've been immunized in incredible ways than ever before. That's my theory. Now, we have data showing that kids who grow up in households where they looked at dogs who went in and out, dogs who were inside and, and they had no dogs, the kids who had dogs who went in and out, I think it was like 50 to 70% less ear infections. Mm-hmm. So that leads me to believe that we are supposed to interact with our quote unquote, you know, germ-filled environment. And we're supposed to interact with that and we're supposed to grow. Now, if you bring up a kid, on the other hand, who his parents, let's say, unfortunately, you know, put Lysol on everything, let, never let him play with kids. He's brought up in such a pristine household. Should we toss him outside immediately? Probably not. Maybe he needs to be titrated with something. If it's not a vaccine, slowly exposed like they do, right? So he builds up his immunity. Um, so I'm saying this is a very personal thing. Uh, and the whole notion, getting back to the Gates and the Fauci's and these people of imposing top-down medicine is ridiculous. And by the way, many of these people don't do that for themselves. They go to concierge medicine. They have their doctors who do all their medical care. They go, they have elite people who watch everything that they're doing. I'm sure many of them take vitamins. They're, they're taking care of their bodies, but they want to deny that to the rest of us. I was, yeah. I was watching the Queen's personal doctor do a presentation a couple of years ago, and yeah. it was so sharp, and he was so on top of it. I was like, no wonder the queen has him as his, as his, as her personal doctor. This guy understands medicine. It's personalized. Let's get into herbs a little bit because, you know, coming back to Cytosolve and what you do and what your research is about, you know, outside of the, the um, political side of things and also the what's happening with coronavirus, you have seen, you know, through your history and your life's experience, these different herbs in, in Vedic use for, you know, your I think it was your grandmother was super, you know, powerful healer and she just had a knowledge of here you try this do this take this what's your feeling about herbal medicine today and how how do you personally use herbal medicine today yeah it's a great question david so i think the answer so david's question is well how do i use herbal medicine today look um you know the if you look at traditional cultures over thousands of years it's almost they just baked it into the food okay meaning it was just part of the food and the women typically just used it was embedded they didn't have to think i don't have you know my mom when she passed away she gave me this little which i have here uh it's a little tray uh by the way when an indian woman gets married and she leaves her parents home to go to the groom's home the mother will always give the daughter a set of spices it's standard and it was typically cloves right typically um uh cardamom uh, uh turmeric uh, anise and I believe asafoetida. Okay, these were, uh, I may be missing one, but essentially that was a transfer of medical culture. Now, those herbs is what is historically always used, it's always there. Now, why are those herbs important? Well, we know now, right? An epidemiological study was done 25 years ago. They found in all of Asia, I'll take one of them, Indians got one third less liver cancer than Chinese in all of Asia. Well, alpha toxins grow on rice, and alpha toxins to a series of pathways result in liver cancer. The number one source of death in the United States is heart disease. 
The number in, in the US, the number one source of death in Asia is liver cancer. But Indians were getting one third less liver cancer and the epidemiological results showed it was because of the high consumption of turmeric. To people who don't know what turmeric, it's a yellow spice, it's a rhizome. And when you grind it up, it has that amazing saffron golden yellow color. Well, so they epidemiologically uh, connected to that. What we, and there's about 6,000 papers written on it. So what we did, David, was with Cytosol, we actually took um, every one of the molecular pathways and we actually showed how curcumin inhibits some of these inflammatory pathways at a very fundamental level. But it's not just, just hits one pathway, hits many pathways. So turmeric was one of those spices, but it's embedded. I mean, I don't, I mean, I love to cook. Turmeric is always there. Why? Because turmeric has, anti so you know, people say, don't eat meat, it's inflammatory. So what the Indians learned was pretty much everything is poisonous in the universe, but pretty much everything is good. It's not good or bad, but if you learn how to do alchemy, you can make anything valuable for you. That's real health. The, the modus operandi of even in the health movement, unfortunately in the US was everything was just do this or just do this, this is the latest diet. The issue is the alchemy. So, so turmeric is amazing spice. You take cloves, cloves is an amazing, right anti-microbial uh, um, in, in so when my growing up in India you know we used to get bags of rice my grandparents used to grow rice but they would always drop in the rice a bunch of cloves because you know that was how you kept away the fungi because the cloves kept away any parasites any of the small worms etc cloves amazing spice so the way I use it is you know I'll make chai tea you know all organic etc I'll grind my own herbs typically you know you, you heat your great black tea. Black tea has great tannins. Again, you don't heat a lot of things, um, you know, harshly, slow, right? And then I would put, you know, I'll take cloves, I'll take cardamom, I'll take anise, um, I'll take uh, black pepper if I want it, ginger, and that's, and you boil it with that. And then you, if you want to get great organic raw milk, or if you want to, if you're not into milk, you know, et cetera. But when we got milk in India, it was literally from the fresh cow, and by the way, the cow, people talk about it as a sacred thing. The reason it was sacred, it was a freaking sustainable plant. Every Indian village home had a cow. Why? You ate on banana leaves. You gave the cow your banana leaves. That produced manure, which you used in your, in, in your own farm. It produced urine, which has amazing properties. It produced, you know, it's the manure, which created holy ash, which you used in ceremonies. And if you put the holy ash around your home, it kept termites and everything away. And it was a, 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 it gave you yogurt. And this was raw milk. So you had all the amazing cholesterol in it. I mean, you had big fat that I was to eat, amazing. So what I'm saying is when you go, so the cow, I believe every home should have a cow. It's a sustainable factory. Think about it. It does, it, it produces everything. So I think the Hindu culture called it a, called it the sacred cow at a fundamental level because why would you want to eat that cow? It's producing everything for you. It's producing your milk, it's producing fruit, and it did work for you. You could use it to plow your fields. It's like you're shooting like your, your whole army. So it wasn't about eating meat or not eating meat because in the Mahabharata, Rama did eat meat, you know, but it was wild game, right? They went hunting. You, so, but the cow in that context was very valuable. So anyway, um, the those spices and there's a whole set of spices david that are always there and if you look historically i think what people learned was the reason the mother passed that spice on because there were certain central spices which i think over thousands of years they learned everyone should be eating if you want to protect yourself boost your immune system etc in fact prime minister modi on his instagram page 
he says take these spices to boost your immune system. Okay? Wow. That's what's cool, right? Now, yeah. why aren't we talking about that? That's why it's so reckless and criminal, even in our Western world. Forget spices. Okay, maybe you're not ready for cloves and turmeric, etc., Fauci, but 80,000 papers have been written on vitamin D. Why aren't you talking about that? Why aren't you talking about people go out in the sun? Let me tell you even something more important than all of these foods, David, was the biggest thing I remember growing up in those cult, when I grew up in that village, I used to feel so amazing. You know why, David? You could walk down the street with bare feet at two in the morning. People, there was so much friendship. People would invite you into their homes. They would make you tea. Even at night, you didn't care about, you know, it wasn't about, oh, I gotta sleep at this hour. I gotta be strict. My point is people, there was fresh air, but the community of fellowship of human beings. Now, the research that was done in 1998, a landmark study, 1988, and the research, research that was done by Stephen Cole clearly shows that social isolation is destructive. It causes viral infection, it causes cancer. So in our culture, we've all lived in these nuclear households. We don't have a chance to have community, right? People don't see people. A lot of Indians, by the way, who go to India, I don't know if you know, sometimes guys who are here will go back to India and marry a woman in India, arrange marriage and bring them here. High incidence of suicides among those Indian women who come here because they grew up in India and Bombay, lots of people around them in their villages. They bring them here and they stick them in a suburb, you know, where there's no friends and these women go crazy. And so the recent research that shows is social isolation at the biological level is worse than high blood pressure, worse than obesity, worse than smoking. That's why the number one source of longevity has always been, forget food, forget exercise, let's put that aside for a while is the guy smoked, he was a little bit overweight, but he had amazing friends. He smiled, he laughed, he could trust people. There wasn't people you're always looking around like someone's gonna mug you. So the social isolation, which is what we're doing right now. We're freaking it's isolating so people and we're saying no son and we're not telling people about vitamin C. So, you know, it's like these freaking people are criminals. They should all be, it's, it's we sh if we really understood what they were doing, is we should have a massive revolution against these people. They are evil, absolutely evil. And it's not yeah. even any remorse we should have for you know when the masses rise up against them because Fauci is not using that podium to say, hey, everyone please get on vitamin D right now. Let's get the country back to work. Let's take those people who are going to those ventilators and give them high dose IV vitamin C. Proven to stop the cytokine storm. Proven anti, Linus Pauling did it. Does it not matter the guy got freaking two Nobel prizes in their own institutions? And that's what I'm saying. It doesn't matter at a certain point, my MIT degrees. It doesn't matter why I won the Fulbright. These people will try to destroy anyone who is goes against their narrative. You see what I'm saying? So it doesn't matter, David, that you know, oh, you, know. you promote raw <laughs> I know foods. I know what they did to me. I know what Monsanto that's what I'm saying. But I'm saying, but I'm saying, I'm it aware. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The credentials don't matter after a certain time. What I'm saying is, what matters is that we recognize that the credentials that they give us are quite ephemeral. It's only to the point where we are willing to be slaves to their credentials. The point that the problem is that I'm not willing to be a good Indian, as I said, and you're not willing to be a good Indian, right? We're not willing to be Gunga Dins or, you know, I don't want to use, you know, one of the words I use, right? We're not willing to be, you know, their good, you know, slaves on their plantation. Yeah. Yep, so, right, so exactly. it, it's and I, and I think that's what needs to occur. But if you really look at what Fauci, Gates, and people are doing, they're not talking about simple things. A, they don't know about it. Or B, they do, which I believe they do, I and they have they an do. agenda. Yeah, 
They do. Yeah, they go, do. I mean, when I was out in Northern California and I, I met some guy who, who Bill Gates' daughter goes, you know, and, you know, does all the equestrian stuff. You know, they're all into health food and eating all the raw, you know, they know what they're doing. They make sure they get everything for them, right? I mean, you, you got that right. And I can tell you that for sure. I've talked with the princes of countries, the princesses of countries, literal royal family. They're organic. They don't touch GMO food. They have nothing <laughs> to do with Monsanto. They don't touch the drugs. They don't get the vaccines. All, it's, it's, it's a big show. And they're in a big gang, and unfortunately, we're not in it. Or actually, fortunately, we're not in it. But what we're doing is we're exposing that gang. We're exposing that that, that corruption. You know, my friend who made this wonderful film from Freedom to Fascism, Anthony Russo, I think was his name. He passed a number of years ago from cancer. But one of the things that he said is he just, you know, because he was approached by the Rockefellers, and they're like, hey, why don't you join us? He's the guy who made the film Trading Places. Remember Trading Places? Yeah, yeah with Eddie film? Murphy? That was a great yes. movie. I love that film. movie. And yeah. Guy, he was such it a exposed, guy. exposed the bourgeois. And, and what ended up <laughs> happening with him is that they tried to recruit him onto their side. And, and one day, Rockefeller said to him, like, what do you care about those people for? And, and he thought about that. He's like, because I have a conscience. I have a conscience, and yeah. I care about people. And he, and, he, and he said no to their to their thing. But that's how they recruit these people in. I know that from the inside because I've been around Hollywood my whole life, grew up in Southern California, grew up in the Hollywood environment. They try to recruit all the best talent in and they try to get you. and like, hey, what do you care about those people for? You don't need to care about them. But you know what? It's people like you, Dr. Shiva, people like me, we have a conscience. Sorry, we're going to help our fellow man, even if it means our destruction and death, which is usually what in history it has meant. I think this time around, though, with the wake-up that's happening worldwide, is we're going to finally, you know, World War II was a complete loss. What happened in India and Burma was a complete loss, the destruction of farms and lives and all this stuff. But I think in this case, we're going to actually have a win somehow out of this. That's my gut feeling. Yeah, definitely. That's what's exciting, David. And I think, um, I think the key thing people need to understand is that uh, there's more of us than them. The only thing, the ingredient that's missing, you know, there's a, uh, there's a book I, I have here called by Clive, Robert Clive. He was a guy who came to India, and maybe this is a good way to sort of close this out, but uh, one of the missing, so Robert Clive is a guy who came to India in it was 17, you know, he came as a clerk. He was a bookkeeper uh, for the British East India Company, if I remember this right. And, and he comes to India, which is like, filled with wealth and jewels and he, he couldn't even stand in front of any of the great emperors of India, right? But over a period, he becomes the emperor of India. So how did this guy who was a bookkeeper with nothing become the emperor of India, literally? How did that happen? And the book is a fascinating story. I mean, I don't care much for him as a human being, but one of the things you realize in human history that has been the ingredient, which has been the confounding variable that no McKinsey, no nerd, in the elite can ever ever model it's called courage and courage is something that robert clive did i mean here is an interesting incident in those days when the british east remember india was originally india went through various phases of of history first was everyone came to india to trade with the emerging indian entrepreneurs this was in uh starting from late 1400s to until 1757 when the battle of Plassey takes place so you had the french coming in the uh, the dutch the East India Company, and these people were trading with partners because there was an emergent, the caste system was breaking down in India, and there was this emergent artisan class coming up of merchants and artisans, the beginning of early Indian entrepreneurialism. So what happens is, uh, by the way, if you look at that history, that what the British did was they actually suppressed that 
capitalist development and they went and negotiated with the kings and the fiefdoms and they elevated the kings and they actually reinstantiated the old caste system of the 8th century. So they actually beefed up the caste system which was going on. But regardless, what you see with Robert Clive is there are battles that, you know, the British would fight the English and the English would fight the Dutch, you know, trying to gain territory. So Robert Clive was a bookkeeper and suddenly there's some battle that the British had losing against the French and they said, hey, will someone come in and fight? And he was just a bookkeeper. He said, sure, I'll go fight. And he goes and fights and he actually wins this little skirmish. Then they make him a lieutenant. And then there's this other battle that takes place, which is like 50 of the British against 3,000 of the French. And he's surrounded and he basically starts shooting at them, acting as though he's going on the offensive and he wins that. But the entire history of this guy, it's almost like a Forrest Gump, that he wins purely on courage. Purely on courage. And that's a confounding variable. It's one of those under, so what I, I think people should understand is that courage has been something that people have underestimated in human history. And when the slaves get their courage and overcome their fear, I'm telling you, a revolution occurs like that without even much bloodshed. If you look at the Russian Revolution at the height of it, you had the, uh, the people rising up, then they created the Duma to try to manipulate people. But eventually, after Black Monday, there was a final revolution and everyone came to the side uh, of the revolutionaries and it wasn't even a shot was fired. So it's when the waking up occurs, you don't really need, I mean, if, if a shot needs to be fired, be it, but it doesn't need to be if masses of people awaken. It's just a shift in consciousness. And that shift is, what I think you're talking about can happen. And I think the element to that is to let go, I keep saying this, of the not so obvious establishment. It's not the establishment. It's a not so obvious establishment. It's the nonprofits, it's the NGOs, it's all these people they claim they want to help you. And yes, and when they when they do these half-ass attacks, they don't they attack gates and they don't those people are the ones who hold movements. They hold suffering because they're part of the problem. They don't want people to unleash because they will lose their power. So I keep telling you this, it's not the Hillary Clinton in the 2016, she was clearly the establishment, but it was a Bernie Sanders who manipulated everyone. And at the, at the, at the final thing he do, and they have a rationale always. Oh, the lesser of two evils. Well, why didn't you go build your own freaking movement, Bernie? Yeah. Why didn't you go do that? Because you're part of the not so obvious establishment. And when people get that, I'm telling you, uh, for example, in the civil rights movement, in the anti-war movement, for 10, 15 years, all of these hippies, you know, we're talking counterculture, uh, Abby Hoffman and all oh, the Democratic Party, the left wing, the SDS, Barry Goldwater's clearly the warmonger. But then Lyndon Johnson beat the shit out of all of them outside of the Democratic Convention. And then people woke up, they said, shit, the Democrats and the Republicans are the party of war. And when they broke with the left wing of the Democratic Party, that's when, that's when the war ended in two years. But as long as people have these illusions of the elements of both of these parties, or they have illusions of the celebrity culture trying to come save them, we're always gonna be screwed. And that's why the establishment has Hollywood handcuffed celebrities. That's why they have a Lady Gaga, okay? Who goes and says, let's vaccinate everyone, right? That's why they have a Bobby Kennedy, because he speaks over here and protects the Clintons, gets awards from them. But that is the truth, and when we break from them, let go of all this brainwashing of celebrity, the icons, that's when a revolution will occur overnight and we'll have freedom. But it's not the establishment. This is something very, very important people need to understand. I like that. The yeah. not so obvious establishment, it's, but I really like even even more is 
this thing about courage that you're talking about because there are so many people out there in FEAR. And you know what? When something happens like this quarantine and this coronavirus, they push that panic button so many times that people go, oh, they're crying wolf. And all of a sudden, a courage wells up inside that said, this is going to stop. We've had enough of this. And we're seeing that right now in the state of Michigan. We're seeing that in the state of Ohio. We're seeing that actually all across the whole country. People are like, we're sick of this. This is going to end. Yeah. All right, David. Thank great, you man. so much, yeah, Dr. You're, Shiva, for you're your awesome, time. Man. You spent almost two hours with us. Oh, my us. God. That, wow. That's literally the best ever, and, and I appreciate you so much, bro. And I'll be in touch. I do want to get all your contact info. If you can have Matthew yes. or, or one of your assistants, just send me an email let, with all your links. Let, let oh, me, okay. while I got you on here and I got some people on here, I'll, I'll walk you through some of them because I have people listening okay. here. Everyone, I'll, I'll um, take them out. Yeah, everyone, uh, I'll just walk people through because I have people over here listening here. I always have a... That's easier. That's easier because then I got yeah. it all right here. So, so every, everyone listening, uh, I think we have close to about probably three, 4,000 people across all platforms they have listening live. So so here's the deal. Everyone knows that I'm running for U.S. Senate, but this is not a U.S. Senate. This is our a movement that's gone global right now. So, I mean, I'm getting five, ten thousand 10,000 messages, 20,000 messages coming in every day, David. So we're setting up my infrastructure to handle that so everyone be patient. But one of the things that everyone can do that everyone is doing is first of all go watch all the videos that we're putting out there to educate people. We have a website, David, called Truth, Freedom, and Health, where people said, "Can you give me one page where I can have the website?" So I'm going to walk you through this. So if people go to TruthFreedomHealth.com. That's one. I've started oh, putting. Is, is Truth, Freedom, and Health? No, 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 and health? just Truth, Freedom, Health. So if you go okay. there, it's a cool website. It has me. I do these little cool whiteboard things, and it has the first videos on the time for truth on the coronavirus. You know, the deep state feeds off fear and an overreactive immune system. You can read them, the power of systems, right? All these videos are up there, okay? And people can go look at them, talk to them, you know, and, and get education. That's one. The se- and it actually lands on our Shiva for Senate page. The other thing people should understand is that we started a, a, a campaign. I, I did it originally called Fire Fauci, and it went viral. A hashtag, again, if people go to Shiva for Senate, and if you scroll down, down to the news section, and I'll give you the exact URL, David, you may want it's, to. It's shivaforsenate.com, correct? Yeah, Shiva, numeral four. Uh, but oh, if, you go, okay. if you go to truthfreedomhealth.com, that goes yep. to a page which has a video. So it's a quick thing that people can pass on Instagram to your email. But there's a, there's a, a link also on that page called shivaforsenate.com slash petition hyphen fire hyphen Fauci, okay? shivaforsenate.com hyphen, I mean not hyphen, slash, slash. petition hyphen fire hyphen Fauci, okay? And that is a petition we built because we know that we built it on our own technology because change.org is getting shut down and, and I think Bill Gates is trying to own change.org or he's trying to invest in it. But we have nearly 75,000 signatures, 75,000 signatures, David, in about, and, and I think there's 3,000 now MDs. So we're bringing over rebel forces <laughs> from the medical establishment, okay? So that's that. The other thing is if you people just go to Shiva for Senate, which is, and if people go right to the main page, they can click on donate, whatever they wanna give or they can volunteer. Um, And if they donate, we give them the book System and Revolution and access to the site called Your Body, Your System, David. Your Body, Your System. And Your Body, Your System, if people are outside of Massachusetts, outside of the United States, and they want to have access, they can just go to Your Body, Your System, 
And if you go to that website, yourbodyyoursystem.com. Yeah, your body, your system. Okay, and that is a as a tool that I built that teaches people systems thinking, systems theory. You get the book, and you get that. If you go to get started now, and again, we've done the same thing. It's twenty five bucks. It's like nothing. But if people can't afford that, I give them a scholarship. They just choose on an honor system how much they need, and they can go. I think five to twenty bucks, and anyone in the world can take advantage of that. All right, but that is the foundations of understanding how the. This is the integration of Eastern and Western medicine. It's beyond integrative medicine. It's really going down to systems thinking. And what about cyto, Cytosolve? Yes, how do we get people yes. There? So if people are interested in Cytosolve, and if you go to Cytosolve.com, people can go to Cytosolve.com, and Cytosolve has got a cool logo on the front. It's got a pill which with all vegetables and fruits in it, and then it transforms into a digital. It's called the 23rd Century Platform for Discovery: Faster, Cheaper, Safer. And that C Y T O S O L V E. Yeah, Cytos Cytosolve. C Y T O S O L V E. Okay. Yeah, got it. Okay. Dot com. Got it. Yeah. And by the way, there's a video on there where I won from the establishment gave me this award from the American Society of Clinical Pharmacologists and Therapeutics. It's a very prestigious award. Um, I gave the state of the art lecture. It's a cool video because I walked through Cytosolve, everything, and people may want to go watch that. Okay. And then finally, you know, we need to get on the ballot, David. So if people go back to ShivaForSenate.com, you got to let everyone know in order for us to get on the ballot, if people go to Shiva for Senate and they scroll down, it says get Shiva on the ballot. And this is only for Massachusetts people. So everyone, if you know people in Massachusetts or you're from Massachusetts, go there and you click this thing called click to, for signature. You fill it out and we're actually mailing you out. Our volunteers are you know, there right now mailing out hundreds of envelopes with postage. They fill it out and they submit it. And we have like five days, David. I think, um, what is today? Yeah, we have about, uh, sorry, 11 days, okay? For people to fill, the, you know, submit it and get it in because we have to mail it to them and then they have to ma mail it to the town halls. And the reason this is important is we have a booming volunteer base who is out there in rain and snow collecting signatures. But the Republican establishment, so afraid of me getting on the ballot, Charlie Baker, who hates Trump, by the way, and Bill Weld, who, who, a Republican who's endorsed Joe Kennedy, has told people not to allow us to come collect signatures. Meanwhile, their, their moronic Republican alternative, they've actually funded him to send these mailers out, okay? Ahead of us. So anyway, um, so everyone should go there to help us get on the ballot, but everyone listening, go tell your friends in Massachusetts. This is our Space Force model. Surround the city from the countryside. And the, and, and the city here is a deep state of Massachusetts with MIT and Harvard as a center. So that's why winning here, David, would be enormous victory for everyone on the planet because Massachusetts, it be. it, it's, it's a center of the freaking deep state, man. It's a center yeah. of academia. It's a center of quote unquote, the Mecca of medicine. And that's why we have to win here. It would be a huge uh, win. It would inspire yeah. people. That's what but we need to win. It would be a devastating blow to the system. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Not, it would be a devastating blow to the not so obvious establishment. Exactly. Like the way you say that. Just real clear to everybody listening that Shiva, S H I V A, for the number four, Senate, S E A S E N A T E dot com. And make sure you click the donate link there. Make sure you get Shiva on the ballot there. And then uh, you'll get your free ebook, right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. if people go to donate, they can they can donate they can get we had it for 25 bucks they donate they get the actual ebook and they get access to this amazing software where they learn basically david if you go to your body your system if you have time to look at it it's very cool 
Um, and basically what I've done is, I mean, it takes a long time to make things simple. If everyone listening goes to your body, your system, when you go there, oh, by the way, one other thing, you have to go to systemshealth.com. Systems Health is really the university. If you go to systemshealth.com, and by the way, all this stuff, to me, I've been building these, and this stuff is a great avenue, but you go to systemshealth.com and you scroll down, I've created an educational course that people can learn while your people stuck at home. And we used to, by the way, the Chopra Center used to offer this, and they used to sell it for like 2,500 bucks. I made it a tenth of the price, okay? So people go there, they can learn fundamentals of systems theory, they can learn systems biology, they can learn the fundamentals of Indian medicine, they can learn the Rosetta Stone, and they get access to a tool, David, which is your body, your system. And, and then if people wanna be educators, they can also become their own university. They can do it on their own. They can teach people. In fact, they can build their own, own entrepreneurial model. But if you go to your body, your system, so systems health is one of the things you should really, that's a training tool. But if people go to your body, your system, if people wanna start small, they can literally go here and you answer a set of questions. And these this helps you figure out from the engineering standpoint, transport, conversion, and storage, your body is a system. And there's a red dot that'll come up which defines your homeostasis. The next set of questions defines what's been going on in your life and how you're deviated from your homeostasis. In the Indian system, they call it Vikriti. In the systems engineering, we would call it your disturbance, plane is off course. And then the and we, what, one of the things I've done, David, I've actually figured out food and yoga postures as tensors. And we actually recalculate how you can use, basically do alchemy on yourself to bring the black dot back to the red dot. So for example, what it, it connects with ancient principles. Oops. I lost David here. So while David's coming back, I'm sorry about this. Um, let me bring David back. While we're waiting for David, I will go back here. Um, I just write David Wolf because my battery ran out. I'm not good about connecting, but everyone listening at home, uh, the Your Body, Your System tool basically teaches people how to connect their body back to uh, themselves. So let me see if I can bring David back on here. Um, oh, there we go. Uh, here's David. Go here. One second, everyone, I'm connecting back to David. But anyway, if people go to Your Body, Your System, people will actually learn how to um, how, how to actually, let me go back here, how to interconnect their body. Uh, oops, I gotta connect to the internet. There we go, coming through. Well, if I lose David, I think I lost David. Okay, here we go. So basically, your body, your system really helps you understand where your body is, where your body wants to be, where it should be, and how to interconnect you back to getting back to yourself. That's what your body, your system is fundamentally about. Um, and that tool is out there. Again, if people have problems affording it, can't get into it, you know, have, have, have any issues with it, please simply send me an email and I made it easy for anyone to take advantage of it. So that's something everyone should uh, take advantage of. It's a tool that's designed for anyone to understand how your body is a system and how to use food and medicine and postures to understand inputs. Um, and that's what it's really about. It's really about you understanding you and then understanding, David, sorry about that. David, I'm back. I, I have to plug in my unit. Sorry about that, David. Oh, I'm mute. Yeah. So what I was saying was uh, at, uh, on your body, your system, 
people, on your body or system, David, people really get to understand how the inputs, no different than an engineering system, if your airplane's on course, you make changes. But one of the things I've been able to do is, there's also a little thing called a kitchen. Once you find your body type, you can practice. You can say, what happens if I throw in this spice and this spice? So if you're a, if you're a transport in India, we call it Vatha, what happens when you, and this has been the problem with the Indian system, no one really understood it. So it's always Vata, Pitta, Kapha, Karma, Sankalpa. And then you ask these guys, what are you talking about? And that's why the Western people attacked it. Here, we've made it more accessible. So once you find your body type, you can say, let's say you are a fast moving person, which is high transport. Well, clearly if you add a lot of caffeine, it's gonna dysfunction you, right? So you can, we've literally taken these, what we call forces, which is what food and, and exercise is, and understand the tensor, the vector of it, and actually we're calculating. And it's done for you, okay? And we also done it, you get a daily email. Now the Ayurvedic dosha quizzes can't do this because they never really understood the physics of this. So we've sort of unraveled the physics. So that's, that's what's out there for people to use. Uh, but the fundamental goal is to teach people that, hey, my body has a homeostasis. It likes to be happy when I'm here. Let me figure out when it's away from that, even if people just learn that simple principle. Now we're giving people some knowledge to realize that they have some levers that they can control in their lives. Even if they take one step forward in understanding that they have a homeostasis and they have disturbed from it, you know, most people are in a disturbed state. They don't even know what homeostasis is anymore. Yeah, well, the, the stress of our whole society right. and, and basically making people work for these parasite organizations, which are basically stealing our money, overtaxing us, actually taxing us to death and causing these high stress levels. But we are here to change all that. I'm here to change all that. And we are changing all of that. Right. We're going to go through a great revolution here over the next, I'd say, 10 to 20 years. But it's all starting this year. Big year for freedom coming, folks. So let's all stand together in community. Thanks so much, Dr. Shiva, for sure. being Thanks, with us. Thanks, David. Thank um, you, everyone. And best and to your audience and all the great work you've done over the many years, David, to educate people. Thank you thank so you. much. Yeah. And I'll be in touch. And uh, I'm going to get this out. So yeah, like, just say goodbye, to, email, just say goodbye to, to all of our Instagram people. Let's say That's goodbye to Wolf. Okay, thanks, everyone. And I'm going to... Um, if, let me see if anyone has any questions. All right, David. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Cheers. be well. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. So anyway, guys, uh, that was uh, my friend David Wolf. David Wolf was a pioneer in, in, in you know, really wanting to educate people about raw foods, uh, you know, superfoods, etc. He was an entrepreneur. He still is. But anyway, I hope this was valuable. I know we went long, a long uh, time. But everyone, get out there. Tell your friends. Uh, to support the campaign for truth, freedom, and health. This is your campaign. This is our campaign, and it's going global. And so let's escalate, escalate, escalate. Thank you, everyone. Be the light. Be well.